go ahead and have a seat and take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. In a minute, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll lead us in prayer as we prepare to hear from God's Word. Matthew chapter 2, very familiar words, familiar part of the birth stories of Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Lord, we we pray that you would allow us to have insight into your word. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to understand the riches of your grace that are stored up, even in these words as we celebrate today the birth of Jesus. Lord, I pray that in these moments that you would challenge our hearts, Lord, to take steps towards you. Lord, that we would draw near to you and worship and celebrate and rejoice. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, Lord, you would cause us to rejoice in your truth and rest in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that I've really learned to appreciate about the Bible is that it has its own point that often doesn't bother with answering necessarily the questions that we might have. Um, The ones that we might desire to have answered from a particular passage, but instead, it, it, it focuses on the questions that we ought to have, the things that we, we ought to ask and consider, rather than maybe the curiosities we would like to have fulfilled. And when it comes to interesting questions, there are few sections in all of the Bible that prompt such unanswerable, interesting questions as this section of Matthew Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You know, here are the things we don't know. There's just, you know, this is one of those passages that people love to talk about at Christmas. Uh, and here, here are the things that we don't know. Uh, particularly, we don't know exactly who the wise men were. 
The word used here is magi, actually, which, uh, you know, sounds a lot like magician because it's supposed to, because it's where we get the word magician in some sense. They were people in the court of the king who did things that seemed unattainable to other people. They had understanding or some secret wisdom that was being relied upon by the king. And so they had these, they, they developed this reputation. And this word is sort of like that. That's not to say that these people had some unearthly power, but that in the king's court, wherever they came from, they were considered wise. And, and by wise men here, that meant that somehow they had knowledge and understanding from beyond, or so it was assumed or thought. They were consultants, all, all, all sort of ancient kings had these sort of consultants that used all sort of means, including attempting to interpret the stars as ways to try and figure out what the king should do and what other people should do. But we don't really know exactly who these people are. We don't know exactly where they came from. It says that they're from the east, but you know, if you keep going east, you get back to west, right? We don't get an exact location. Literally, from the word here is Anatole, which means from the rising, the place where the sun rises and the stars rise. Where the stars and sun rose and made their journey across the sky, they had begun and journeyed to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly how many of them there were. The traditional three wise men seen in the photos where they're walking across, you know, I, I really meant to have this picture and I messed it up because it's Christmas. I couldn't remember all the details. But we have this picture of the girls in Costa Rica riding horses on the beach behind their guide and there's three of them and the horses look like the wise men. And I thought of it this morning. I was going to show it to you. I pulled it up, but uh, we forgot to load it into the slides. But, you know, we see these pictures, and so we assume there are three wise men. Even, you know, in ancient traditions, they've named them. They have names, and I can't remember all of them, but if you watch popular movies about the wise men, you can find one of them is like Balthazar or something like that, and there's a couple other ones. And, uh, but, we, you know, there's always been that there's assumed that there were three of them, but we actually don't know. The reason people think there are three or thought there were three or came to associate them with three was because of the three gifts. You know, because we would only show up with one gift, right? Nobody's bringing multiple gifts or, you know, coming without a gift to the Christmas party. But we don't really know how many of them were. Another thing we don't know about this passage, it doesn't answer the questions about exactly when the events we read here happened. Many scholars believe it was sometime, obviously, after the initial birth of Jesus. Jesus isn't still stuck in his manger accommodations at this point. It says in verse 11, he's in the house, which is an upgrade. The Greek term for child is used here as well in verse 11, which many people point out is more commonly used for a toddler and older. But truth be told, child in English is used with a lot of flexibility. It's flexible enough to be used at times for a newborn. Like, what did you name the child? You know, like we use words flexibly. And so we have no idea whether he was a little older, they're still in Bethlehem, you know. I mean, surely they would have wanted to go back to Nazareth at some point, right? We have no idea, and it doesn't answer exactly when. This is sometime after he was born, and they're settled there, recovering. We also don't exactly understand how they got the information that led them there, right? That's like the biggest mystery, you know. You and I, we don't, 
we don't have a sense that somehow the stars are going to tell us what important events are coming to happen. And to whatever degree God has maybe used it as an indicator in the past, it's a unique sort of one-off, maybe incredibly unique event. But we don't really know how it worked. Of course, we know from their own words that they were following something they believed that they saw in the stars that brought them to Jerusalem. We don't get the details of their astronomical vision, nor are we told how, how it pointed them in the right direction to begin with, something that many of us would like to know because it's so far outside our normal experience, isn't it? Questions. These are all the questions I had when I was thinking about this passage. Just questions, questions, questions. But if the passage doesn't answer these questions, then what does it do? Right? If it doesn't get at my curiosities, certainly Matthew knew you know, that these things might be curiosities and he wrote these words and the Holy Spirit inspired these words and preserved these words for us for a particular reason. Right? The answer is it provides, you know, as we think about why, what do, why is this here and what details are included, why, how do they matter? The answer is it provides a contrast about what it looks like to respond to the arrival of Jesus into the world. Here, the likely people miss the significance of Jesus' birth, and the unlikely people get it right and come to him. That's the contrast. These, the, the people in Jerusalem should have been looking for this, anticipating this, but it's the people who are far away with little knowledge, but the stars who actually come and worship. There's something to be really wrestled out there about the ones who come and worship and bring gifts and the ones who don't. And that's at the heart of what Matthew is showing us. The wise men in their response to the news is really what we're to see. And everyone else is the contrast. So in order to do so this morning, I'm going to keep it really simple. We're going to look at two ways to miss out on the joy of Christmas from this passage and two ways to celebrate. And then we're going to go on with our celebration today with those truths in our heart. And so two ways that you could miss out on the joyful celebration of Christmas, two ways to celebrate. Let's talk about the ways that you could miss out this morning. The first one is we see that Herod missed out because of control. Herod missed out because he wanted to maintain full control over his own life. One of the things that's so interesting about this passage is that when the wise men came, they asked to see, they asked to see where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Verse 2 says that. That was because Herod himself wasn't born king of the Jews. He wasn't, you know, Jewish after all from the line of David, a real king in the Judean promise to David. So he certainly couldn't be the everlasting king. He was a temporary holding place. He's actually kind of an imposter. He became king of the Jews through shrewd dealings with the Romans during a war with the Parthians. And he was declared king of the Jews because the Romans knew he would be a decent puppet. But he was an Edomite. He wasn't actually Jewish. And he had a massive control complex, like any person who feels like an imposter kind of does, right? 
So much so that in order to maintain his power over his kingdom, he pretty much killed anyone related to him or anyone who might be a threat. I'm not going to bore you with the list of people that he had polished off so that he could maintain his power, but it's a long one. He did all sorts of things. That's why in verse 3, when we read this passage, you know, when they come and they say, where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? It says that all Jerusalem was troubled. That's a way of saying the simple word of these people coming into town and asking, where's the one born king of the Jews? They know what happens when Herod feels threatened. And it stirred him up. Nothing goes well when Herod feels threatened. If you keep reading past the verses that we read this morning, you'll see that. Why they were in an uproar. Through his relationship with Rome, though, Herod had managed to build a lot of great things and win a strange sort of favor by giving the people some of what they wanted as a way of maintaining this delicate balance of power and control over his kingdom. So when he hears about a king being born, well, he just isn't interested in the same way that the wise men are. He would rather kill the Messiah than yield his kingdom. So what's this have to do with us? Well, we see that the the rest of his control and desperation and power play out in the way he deals with the wise men. You know, he secretly wants them to come back and tell them where they find him. And then he goes on this terrible rampage afterward, kills an unnumbered amount of children to attempt to keep this control. But listen, maybe for a moment you might be here and could see yourself in King's Herod, King Herod's life. He, he's just sort of a, a, like a strong version of what it looks like for us to desperately wrestle to maintain control when Christ has been born to be our king. Maybe for a moment, you could see yourself in Herod's life. Listen, is maintaining control what keeps you from yielding to the kingship of Jesus in your life? Jesus would establish his kingdom. We're all still talking about it 2,000 years later. I mean, that's amazing. And Herod's just a cute detail in the real story of the king. But what about you personally? Are you happy to talk about Jesus only as long as he doesn't mess with your plans for your life? As long as he doesn't demand that you part from any of the activities that are hindering you? As long as he doesn't require that you learn to love in humility rather than control the people around you to maintain your seat on the throne of your life? Listen, if that's you, you you might be missing out on the real celebration that you can entrust your life to the king. Instead of just living all the time to keep control. One of, the most, one of the most challenging things we face spiritually is whether we will submit our lives to God and recognize Christ as king or whether we're going to do it our own way. And the joy of Christmas is that he can give us something better than we can give ourselves. But you'll miss out if you like Herod gripping for control so that's one way to miss out there's a second way in this passage to miss out the scribes or the religious experts missed out because of apathy perhaps more troubling than Herod's response is the response of the chief priests and scribes spoken of here here we have the theological and spiritual experts in Jerusalem 
the point of their existence was to really know the Old Testament and its laws and its history and how all the other experts before them had interpreted those laws and implied them in the life of Israel. And they were to know this and the history of it and, and what else was yet unfulfilled and what God had already revealed about his plan. I want you to see that they are good at what they do. They know the right answers, don't they? The question that brought, is brought to them is, where do we look for this king? And Herod gets the experts together, and they have an answer. Micah 5.2 says that from the same place that David had been called king, there would be the one who would truly shepherd Israel. So we know that he would at least be born in Bethlehem if he's been born king of the Jews. Go look there. Absolutely clear. Easy day for some experts, right? There seems to be a strong consensus. Nobody's arguing that he's going to come from somewhere else. What is really striking is that we don't get any sense that they were excited to go with the wise men. Here's the contrast again. They're conveniently close to Bethlehem. It's not far to go, and they don't join in the seeking. While these wise men are from afar with very little advantage to really discovering Jesus and they press forward until they find him. And we just see this contrast over and over again between the wise men and the others in the story. But it's not just a contrast about them, it's, it's showing us something about the ways we might fail to really experience the joy that comes with drawing near to Christ. Listen closely to what it means for us. It is possible to have a lot of knowledge and a lot of answers to the basic questions about Jesus and not respond in worship. I mean, it happens all the time. Do not mistake theological or Bible knowledge for genuine Christian experience of faith and a real relationship with Christ. Some of you here today may need to press into solidifying with God your own personal connection in response to the birth of Christ. If you don't, you might be missing the real celebration of Christmas. You might miss out on the joy because you heard about these things, you know about these things, but you have little to no interest to labor onward to discover them, to press into what they really mean, to think about what they mean for your life. You know, it's amazing to me, it sometimes just baffles me that if you were to survey people in the United States, it still says that over 90% of people believe in God. But when I talk to people, in my neighborhood, when I talk to them about their spiritual lives, what I mainly discover is although people believe in God and may know a little bit about them, that there's very little of their life that is about discovering Him and knowing Him and, and really understanding who He is. We've accepted that since there's there, there is confusion in the world that there's no knowledge, there's no way for us to really know God. And even though we might have the answers to what it really means to have a relationship with God, there are many people who understand that knowledge, understand those ideas, but have never drawn near and never experienced genuine faith and been born again. And, and listen, the place that is most prominent is in churches like ours, in places where people will gather for worship, with a lot of knowledge of God's word. 
but no real desire to experience him in their lives, to walk by faith, to step out to what that really means, to trust God at his word when it's, when it's costly and you're not sure if you're going to discover anything at the end of that search and to press into him. And yet there's just sort of an apathy to know the God of the universe who has made himself known in the birth of Christ. Maybe that describes you. There's nothing about these truths that has ever warmed your heart toward God we sing the songs we think about Christ being born and there's no sense of wonder about God's grace and his mercy his availability to us his willingness to walk with us day by day the gift of his spirit that fills our lives with his presence we'll settle for something else in place of it and miss the joy of what's really celebrated So that's two ways to miss the joy of Christmas. And there's two ways I said in the passage to celebrate it. Um, I want to show you those. So the contrast of the wise men then with Herod and with those religious experts gives us two ways to miss out on the joy of Christmas and now two ways to celebrate. The first one I think that we see here is one of the ways that we celebrate the birth and the gift of Christ is we seek him out. We seek him out. Seeking is what the wise men are known for. This is who they are. It's at the heart of the the sort of image that they carry for us. They continue, we see in the story, the wise men continue on. They're the ones that take what they've seen and what they've heard and don't stop until they can be found kneeling in worship at the Savior's feet. They go to Bethlehem. They find the place. In verse 11, it says they go inside. And it says in verse 11 that as they go inside, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they fell down and they worshiped worshiped worship some of us in order to experience the real joy that Christ brings need to seek him out and not stop until we find ourselves joining the wise men in rejoicing and worship and I just wonder in your life has there been a time where in seeking to know the Lord and calling upon the Lord that you've been brought to worship at the wonder that Christ was born not just that he was born in general but that he was born for you And that you all of a sudden felt a sense the Spirit of God warmed your heart and Jesus seemed worthy of everything in your life. Has that happened for you? Is there a sense of wonder and worship that's been produced from knowing and discovering Christ? Really, we're to seek him out until that happens. (laughs) This is what it means to really grasp by faith what Christ has done for us. They fell down and worshipped. And some of us, in order to experience this joy, need to seek him out and continue to seek him and get our questions answered and discover him so that we can join the wise men in worship and rejoicing. What does it mean to seek Jesus? You know, maybe that just seems like kind of religious language, right? You know, yeah, 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 we're going to go seek Jesus. But like, what do I do? (laughs) Like, what does it look like to be a person who wants to seek Jesus until I really have by faith seen him and celebrated him? Well, a couple things that that it means. First of all, it means beginning with 
we, we believe there's something still valuable to discover about him. Listen, do you know there's something still valuable for you to discover about him? You know, if there's never been a time in your life where you've seen the value of Jesus, like and it really moved you to worship, there, you need to continue to press in like who he is and what, what is true about me and, and, and answer the challenging questions that you have until you get to that place. And, and, and you know, for us, to, we, we need to believe that there's something yet to discover. That there's, there, there's something worth knowing about this Christ who has been born. I'm not, I'm not content to stay in Jerusalem with the religious experts, but with whoever will go with me, I want to I come near to him. I want to walk by faith. I want to step into a life that really walks with Jesus and, and believes there's something yet valuable for me to discover in Christ. Day by day, this year for you, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, there's something valuable for you to discover as you search the scriptures, as you pray, as you meet with the Lord, as you fellowship with other believers, as you sit quietly before these powerful truths and you look into your life, there's something more for you. Seeking begins with believing I haven't found everything there is to be discovered. Second thing seeking means is we make time to focus our energy and experience on things that will help us really know him. Now I mentioned a few of these and there's a few that come to mind. Like how, how would you practically seek Jesus out? I, one of the ways is conversations with others who walk with him. Like maybe in your life there's just things going on where you're like, I, man, I just, I want to deepen my knowledge of Christ, and, and you need some other brothers and sisters just to, to share their experience with the Lord, how they've come to discover Him, what they've found about Him, to hear their stories. And, and those things can have a powerful, powerful impact. Over the last fall, we uh, have spent time listening to the stories of people in our life group as, uh, of what God has done in their life and how God has revealed Himself to them through His Word. And it's just been powerful. And, and you know, maybe some of the questions that you have uh, that you think there might not be answers are our best answer is you sit and ask some other brothers and sisters how God has helped them find out what it looks like for them to walk by faith the experiences that God has brought them through how he's shown himself and shown up in their lives in a special way you'll be amazed throughout this church how many incredible stories there are of God's work of his redemption of how he's taken broken things and restored them, of just how gracious he's been as people walked away from him and he's been willing to pursue them and bring them to himself. I mean, just story after story after story. And we come in, you know, sort of week after week and if we stay on the surface and we never dig into any uh, other lives, we just don't know those stories and we miss out on discovering and seeking the presence of Jesus as he's shown himself through other people's lives. And you can seek God by reading his word. Uh, you know, I began the, this year in the first two months during the sabbatical, just reading the Bible in two months end to end. And I was amazed at how much I learned personally after walking with Christ for over 20 years, um, just about God. The story of his redemption, what he's done. And you know, maybe you've never read all the way through the Bible. I would encourage you to uh, set aside a time, like real focus in your life, where you would work your way through reading and understanding what God has spoken to us. 
I think reading other books that have been written by people who have walked with Christ that help us understand theology, understand the gospel. You know, just searching and studying it out, wrestling with these truths, asking the questions that you have. Having other people help answering them and seeking the Lord and bringing those questions to God. Like bringing them to him and saying, God, here are the honest things I don't know about what it means to live and walk with you, but I want to know you. When's the last time you just got down in your room before the Lord on your knees and prayed and said, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to discover the riches of who you are, the infinite God, all wise, all powerful, all good, the creator of the universe, the one who orders our lives, who has purposes that he's working out now, purposes that remain yet to be revealed. God, I just want to experience you. And I trust that you are working. Help me know you better. We make time. Focus our energy and our experience on things that will really help us know him. What does it mean to seek Jesus? It means we keep up the search until we break through with joy and worship. You know, maybe you'd say, you know, I've been wrestling with spiritual things for a long time in my life. Like maybe six weeks or six months or six years. Man, the questions, and I just feel like there's just been dry. It's just, I haven't gotten the answers I've really wanted, and it's been 60 years. But in light of eternity and a God who is glorious, how long is too long? How long is too long to say, Lord? Let me get a glimpse of why you're so worthy. No time's too long. And you know, we discover in the Bible there's something powerful about waiting. Because part of their rejoicing is the long journey. (laughs) The long journey to get there, wondering if there's anything at the other end. Why should you believe that God wants you to discover more about him? Well, because God loves seekers. (laughs) He encourages us to seek him in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Others have sought and found him to be more satisfying than life. Psalm 63, the psalmist says, early will I seek you. He's like water in a desert. That when we finally find him, It's so satisfying. Jesus gives us the insight that seeking first his kingdom will put all other things in their proper place. We see it here. I mentioned the fact earlier that it's hard to imagine how it all worked with them using the stars, right? I'm still coming back to that question. But I think the mystery of that is a bit of the story here, actually. It's a bit of what matters. You see, the stars were just the language that God used with these seekers. You see, he's just entering their world. In a way, the description is about God bringing them to Jesus from inside of their own experience because they were willing to go find him and honor him. Like, how willing is God to come 
find you where you're at and help you in your seeking discover the truth about Christ. He's willing to use whatever language will help you understand the riches of who he is. And he shows us that here in the wise men. He does, he's not sort of baptizing astrology here. He's not just saying, oh, yeah, 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 that's exactly how it all works. Just look at the stars, and I've got all kinds of other things, and that's what you should do. But because they knew the stars, God uses the stars to bring them to Jesus. And he speaks right into their lives. Somebody recently asked me what I thought about this sort of astrological element in the story. And here's what I think. I think God loves us so much that he will give us a road to him from right there where we are that can help us make sense of who he is. There doesn't even have to be something objectively special about the alignment of the stars. It could have just been a miracle of God that what they saw in the stars and the way they understood what it meant about the birth of a Jewish king was what God used to bring them to the place where they could connect most deeply with what it really all meant. God speaks to us right where we're at which means the questions and the longings and the interests that you have might be the right starting place for your seeking and God has incredible ways to speak our language so that he can bring us to himself start right where you are and walk toward him and you will be amazed that he can help you find your way to Christ and his good news so that's the first thing seek him out The second one, real plainly, give him gifts. Give him gifts. There's a second way I want to encourage you to celebrate today. It says in verse 12, they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts. When they got to the house where Jesus was with his mother, imagine for a second the story they heard about this child. I love stories like this. You know, here they are seeking Is there anything on the end of this long journey of seeking? And they wonder, and you know, they they stop by Jerusalem and they're directed to go somewhere and, and, you know, okay, we're going to go down to Bethlehem and they go there. And if, if they're like any normal human, they're like, is this a wild goose chase, right? You know, maybe you felt that way. And they're all on that and they arrive and they finally, they somehow, you know, they're brought to this house. And they go inside and they say, anything special about this kid? Right? (laughs) Mary says, oh, I got a story for you. And she starts talking about all they'd experienced. From all the way over here in the east to all the way there in Bethlehem, God was bringing them. And he just lines it up. Only God, right? Can line it up like that. Mary had been treasuring up a whole lot of things in her heart. And I can only imagine as she shared them that they were mesmerized that on the other end of their seeking was one worthy to be called the king. They found what they had been searching for. This explains why they rejoice, it says, exceedingly with great joy. It hasn't been a waste. And I haven't seen Jesus yet. You and I, we haven't looked on that child. But you, can you imagine 
after a lifetime of leaning into knowing him, what kind of rejoicing there might be when we all of a sudden know he is worthy. That every moment we prayed and didn't give up and trusted in the Lord, waited in a trial, only helped us know more deeply how worthy, how worthy the King really is. I think we might rejoice with exceeding joy and want him to have everything that is ours. And so, how do we celebrate knowing that that day's coming? Well, I have to imagine that today some of us can bear witness that in Christ we found what we have been searching after. I have to imagine there are some here today that feel it all the way down deep in their soul that Jesus is worthy of opening the treasures of their life. I have to imagine I'm not alone when I say with the psalmist that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I sought the Lord and He heard my cry and He answered me. I was stuck in the miry clay. I called to the Lord and He answered me. He picked me up and set my feet on the rock. If you found him worthy today, one of the best things you could do is spend some time this Christmas season giving him some new gifts out of the treasures of your life. Oh, I'm not talking about earning your salvation. He gave you all of that by his grace. I'm talking about expressing your devotion. What can you give him today through your life? What could you come up with from the treasure of your life that would tell him and everyone around you that he is worthy? And I want you to, to encourage you to consider today what it would look like for you to be lavish with your life and offer praise today through gifts of devotion to the Lord. They did it out of their treasures. And we can do it out of ours. Okay, let's wrap this up. The wise men... They gave gifts, and traditionally Christians have seen symbolism in the gifts that they gave. Gold represented the eternal kingdom of Jesus, his kingship lasting and precious. Frankincense, because it was used as an offering and worship, Represented the divine worthiness of Jesus. He wasn't just an earthly king, but worthy of worship. And then myrrh, the special death of Jesus. The only thing really myrrh was valuable for was embalming. It's an embalming spice, a very valuable one. And it reminds us that even at his birth, his cross is in view because this is why he came. He would give us an eternal kingdom delivered from God himself through his suffering and death. In a moment, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper and we're going to put the capstone on why we celebrate this king as worthy. He's worthy not only because he's the exalted divine son, 
but because he became a servant. And he took on flesh, and in taking on flesh, he suffered in our place. And he died on the cross so that our sins could be paid for and forgiven. So that in his death, our death for sin would be paid. And in his rising, we could anticipate the day when our lives would be fully made new. Eternally worthy, Jesus Christ who's been born for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we think on these things, we are grateful for your love that has sought us out. Lord, we pray you would stir our hearts up to seek you and know you with all of our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would grant us insight into how we can live lives of devotion that celebrate your worthiness. And so God, we present ourselves to you. Lord, I think of John as he wrote the words and wept. Is there anyone able to open the seals that reveal the purpose and plan of all of history? And it was Jesus, the lamb that had been slain. The king on the throne was a lamb. Lord, would you show us the power of his sacrifice and how much it expresses your deep love for us so that we'll be drawn to seek you with all of our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.